0: Welcome back, everybody, to Decoded. My name is Sydney Lai, and in this season, we are exploring career development for the next generation of developers. And of course, this show is brought to you by OutSystems. OutSystems is a developer platform that helps you build mission-critical software on the enterprise level. That means you're making applications for the banking industry, logistics, government, and it is absolutely insane how fast you can build. They have a two-week boot camp, absolutely free. In the show notes, you'll find a way to sign up, but you can learn reactive web and mobile development in two weeks, regardless of the level of a developer that you are, right? So come sign up, join me, we'll party, we'll code. Let's get started. Today's topic, let's talk about this, right? It's the conversation is about Latinx and tech, right? And I think for the US, there's something like 20% of the population of almost 20% of the population in the US specifically is Latinx, right? And I think that when we think about different skill sets or careers, the media portrays what talent Latinx people fit into, right? And personal story, it wasn't until I went to a hackathon. It was a Latinx hackathon, and I didn't really get it at first. When I was there, I finally realized, I was like, oh, this is what diversity means. This is what it means for Latinx folks to be building in tech, because there's two main things that I saw. Number one, there were more female founders than I've ever seen pitch at a hackathon, pitching new ideas, right? Number two was that they were creating and developing solutions and ideas that I would have never thought before because these were solutions that was so meaningful and impactful in their own communities. And I left that hackathon completely speechless, mind-blown, and a total believer in all right, how do we empower people to build, right? And what are the resources that you need? How do we how do we do this together? And I'm really excited to bring on the guests. David Silva. He is going to just walk you through a lot of his work that he's done, not just as a community leader, but really seeing like how has this really impacted tech companies and what's to come. I'm excited. Let's go. So I'm really excited to welcome today, David Silva. He is a co-founder of Taqueria and a senior developer. His work in career development in the Latinx community has won him an award by the City Council of San Francisco. I've been able to work with him for four years, but it really began seven years ago where we met and we started going to hackathons together. And that's and it's that early, early years of being junior young developers together, going to hackathons, building that friendship evolving into professional friendship, and I became really, really impressed with just the work that he has done in the tech community. I'm really happy to welcome David. David, thanks for coming on.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be chatting today.
0: Awesome, David. It, is, it has been quite a while since I've seen you. I'm really excited to see you. I'm really enjoying your mustache. It's looking sharp.
1: Some pandemic new habits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pandemic new habits. I love it. It's looking sharp. Were you able to do some Burning Man last week?
1: A little bit. We spent some time upstate with my girlfriend. It was super fun just getting out of the city for a while and out of the Twitter and the news because, I mean, hopefully (laughs) the listeners are aware, but the world is going a little crazy.
0: (laughs) The world is collapsing. And some like to blame tech, others like to leverage tech at a time like this. But I am curious, what was your earliest memories of tech? What brought you down this rabbit hole?
1: Yeah. So I started my career as a software engineer, like in an agency, like a marketing agency. So I started like coding, but more like, like regular website coding, WordPress, templates, stuff like that. And back then I jumped into tech in 2011. I heard about this event called Startup Weekend when I was still living in Colombia. So I attended the I believe it was the first or second ever Startup Weekend in Colombia. And after I attended that and I found out about what tech was and how tech companies are different to regular companies. And, you know, even though we've used similar tools and we all code with the same, like computers, the way that the companies operate is very different to what I was used to in my previous job. So I decided to jump into tech. My first job was in a small startup in Bogota, Colombia, that was providing student loans for people to go to college. And it was uh, really fun. I've been like a big fan of tech since, or, you know, now a critic, but I love tech and like the possibilities that it has. I moved to Silicon Valley in 2013. I worked for like a company called Doctor on Demand, which is the largest telemedicine provider in the country now, or is one of the largest telemedicine providers in the country now. And it was a very fun experience. It's very interesting to be in tech, learn about agile methodologies, the code and kind of like it feels some like sometimes that you're like really pushing forward a few things as opposed to like my previous job where we were kind of like trailing behind everything all the time.
0: Right. And do you mean that from a stack perspective or do you mean just in terms of tech and how it impacts communities and people?
1: Both. I think there's a lot of differences between like tech companies and other companies. Definitely on the tech stack perspective, it's very different working on tech. Like it's more likely that you're going to be using Newer technology or newer programming languages and stuff like that. Some people will argue that maybe that's not such a great thing, but it is. But it is, I think, really important that there's a group of people and companies that are willing to like experiment and and really push forward the limits of like what we think we can do with our computers. But also, I think the other big difference is come in terms of uh, in governance. When I was working at like, a, like at a bank before, there was a lot of red tape trying to get a feature done was like impossible. There was like zero consideration for like the user experience, things like that. While that's the complete opposite in tech, like the way that the offices work, the ping pong tables, the beer, the, the shallow things, but also like the deeper things make working in tech feel like super different and super interesting. And now obviously like Bank of America or whatever, like all the all the regular traditional companies are trying to copy a lot of the things that came from the tech industry. They're doing a bad job at it. But it is but it's very interesting oh, to see. Just, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting I was just going to see ask, do you think it's it working?
0: or? But we see, we're like, oh we see the facade. It, it doesn't work. Anyway. Yeah, I feel like people yeah. are
1: always copying the wrong thing. Like when people are like, I lived this when I was living in Colombia too, right? Like people want to be like, oh, Bogota should be the Silicon Valley of, of Latin America. And then they make this stupid shit. Like, let's put ping pong tables in our co-working space. And that will make us like tech. And it's like... Like, yeah, ping pong is cool, but it's not about that. It's about like a lot of other stuff. So so that's that's always very funny to see how like people are always trying to like copy certain aspects of tech, but they're kind of like always getting the wrong ones.
0: Right. And I think then really the question brings to what do you think drives you in tech then, right? So you, you talked about what really got you stuck in there, but what
1: keeps you keep going? It's a good point. I mean, I still have like a few... I don't know, like issues, I guess, with tech, because tech started as like the underdog, you know, people in a garage building things together. Now tech is, I don't know, affecting our elections and our mood and our lives in very, very negative ways. And they have a lot of power, but they kind of like still refuse to acknowledge that and bothers me a little sometimes. So when I'm looking for jobs or when I'm looking for customers, I try to steer away from big, big companies like that so what keeps me in tech is the smaller companies like right now I'm working with only like seven people we are sorry I don't want to like imply that it's bad it's just not my thing but so like what keeps me in tech is just working in small teams trying to figure out things coming up with solutions exploring things that perhaps other sort of people haven't done but also participating in companies that have the potential to really change how things work doctor on demand is maybe like one of the biggest successful companies that I worked at so it, it gives me like a good example of what I mean. And when we were working there, like many states didn't even have legislation for telemedicine. So the company had, like we had lawyers and lobbyists and people that were like trying to help change the laws to allow for more people to be able to see doctors online. And that has paved the way for a lot of the changes that are now possible or like that are necessary during COVID. Another thing that I really, really like from tech, the tech industry is and it's also one of those things that is dying a little is the open source communities and the open source movements. I think it's fascinating that you can go to a conference and some guy that works at Airbnb or a woman that works at Airbnb will be like, hey, this is how we built Airbnb. This is our advice. This is our success. I haven't been to any other industry where people get together like that and share their company secrets and, and stuff like that. And it gives me like a feel that like none of my friends that work at any company are like loyal to our company. They will know that it's just a job and you have a life beyond that. So they're always sharing secrets. We're always talking about what we're doing. You know that like if I leave my job, I can go get a job with them. People are constantly like working for somebody and then working for the competitor after three years. And that's kind of nice. I really like that about tech too. Like It feels like there's more of a sense of collaborating and there's a more of a sense of solving the challenges for the sake of solving the challenges than in other industries.
0: Right. So I think really the value also comes from the early mentality of Silicon Valley, which is just share, right? Pay it forward, sharing this information, because that's really how you have the exchange of ideas and you can build on the exchange of ideas. And and something I wanted to circle back to, which is you really enjoy being part of teams and organizations where you can affect change. It could be on a policy level, like you mentioned with Dr. On Demand or it can also affect other communities. So so how have you seen tech affect communities and, and specifically even to the Latinx community?
1: Tech has a very huge capacity to disrupt communities. I don't know, I'm, I'm not the biggest expert on this, of course, but like there's just so many examples, right? Like Uber arguably gives like lots of job opportunities to a lot of people that couldn't have that before, you know, for some extra income, like driving around, or definitely change the way that we go around, like, you know, travel around the city, things like that. So so tech has really this gigantic capacity to change things many times without asking permission or without really understanding what the ramifications of those decisions are. But I feel like it's more people are waking up to that and trying to, like, hold tech companies more accountable. The Latino community gets affected in many different ways. I guess there's there's a lot of, like, you know, negative effects that we get by not being able to participate in the tech industry at the same level, because a lot of the decision makers, like at the executive level on tech companies are not Latinos, and they don't think of us as like valuable people. At best, they think of us as consumers of their products. So it is very hard to like, I don't know, like they approach sometimes the Latino community with like this condescending type of attitude of everybody's aware now that the Latino community is the largest minority in the US. Some people believe by like 2040, 2050, there will be more Latino people in the US than like white people. So people know that the Latino community is huge and people know that the Latino community needs to listen to, but most tech companies do a terrible job at that. And that's kind of like some of the goals and some of the things that we were trying to change with our community work. There's another thing with the community work too, and it's that um, most people that grew up in middle class or stuff like that, when they go to college and they get a job and they get a high salary, like it's nice, they travel, they go to Europe, they hang out, they go to Japan, whatever. But but if you're like a low-income person and you're like, or like a, an immigrant or a first-generation Latino or something like that, and you start making six figures, a lot of that money will go back into your community. So that's a, one of the ways in which we think that the tech industry or like getting more Latino people to participate in the tech industry just helps the Latino community in general because it changes the faces of the neighborhoods. It changes like it gives you the possibility to like get your younger cousins to go to college or or the multiplication effect of that is like much larger than like when a regular person gets into tech. Yeah, Sorry, so not, I mean that we're not regular, but
0: so I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. I, this is a really good point because what you're really talking about is the trickle down effect right? Where this income not only affects one individual and not only from a consumer perspective, but how does this income and this role and this job working in this industry, how does it affect the greater family members and their family members, so on and so forth, right? So you pull up one, you pull up a community. And so what do you think has been holding the Latinx community back, right? I think it's a very vague question, but if you were able to say, what are some of the the pain points that hold them back from entering?
1: Yeah. It's a lot of things, I guess. The people in the tech industry is like the people that make these hiring decisions. They say that there's not enough Latino applicants or whatever, but I think it's like more of a societal thing, right? Like when people think about Latino people, they're not thinking about engineers. They're thinking about the cleaning lady. They're thinking about the janitors, stuff like that, because that's how we've been represented in movies. That's how we've been represented on TV shows. That's how most people have their interactions like that from the listeners. I don't know, like how many of you have like Latino lawyers or Latino accountants or Latino coworkers that are engineers. It's a little bit of that, a little bit of that, like biases that exist on people. So many Latino candidates, when they apply to companies like Google or whatever, and the recruiter is scanning through like, sorry, I don't want to name names. So like, you know, when a recruiter is scanning through like thousands of of resumes or several resumes, they're most likely going to call John Walters and not some like, guy that they can't even pronounce their last name because they don't know how to like read Guillermo or whatever so so yeah that's like a thing that a lot of the companies don't want to like admit to but there is a lot of discrimination that keeps latino people outside from tech and even when people get hired a lot of latino people never get promoted because of again same discrimination stuff i mean like I was a little similar to what happened to women but i guess white women are getting like you know have a better foothold now but there's still a lot of things that happen like many stories that people are aware of like not getting invited to lunch with everybody else not getting invited to a golf course not not being invited to participate in important meetings and then that keeps people the nice people the opportunity to get promoted and without more latino people in executive positions or managerial positions it's going to be a lot harder for all of us to be able to participate more and be taken more seriously
0: yeah and i think in the back of my mind right there's always this question, maybe on the questions of diversity, like why is this relevant, right? And David, it wasn't until you and I, we went to a startup weekend. It was startup weekend in Oakland. And it was a Latinx startup weekend. And I was asked to host. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm not Latina. I I don't know if I should host. But the organizers still recommended that I host. And although I was a host and welcoming all of the participants on stage, one of the most important things that I realized at that moment was that you had more female founders present during the hackathon than I've ever seen before. And also, they were creating startups and ideas that was so specific to their community that I would have never in a hundred years think to create a solution for that. And it was at that moment, at that hackathon, I was like, oh, this is why diversity matters. Right? And yeah,
1: (laughs) No, I sure agree hundred yeah. percent. I think a lot of people think I mean, I don't know, there's a lot of reasons why people talk about diversity, right? There's some people that believe that it's a moral I don't know, moral thing that like things have to be more represented just because. Um I don't I don't necessarily believe in morality, so it's hard to agree with that, but and then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people that say that you need diversity because of the business. And if you don't hire Latinos, then how are you going to grow your business? And and I also don't necessarily agree with that because I think it's too so simplistic. But I think it's a combination of like both, like, you know, like if you, I don't know, I think like, yeah, no, I think like, it's kind of like in the middle, like you were saying, like, if, if you don't have people that are part of this community, if you're an interview with them, if you don't like have them in your boardrooms, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I mean, I constantly see like, like sometimes I get advertisements targeted to me in Spanish with like the shittiest Spanish that like Google Translate would have done a better job at it. <laughs> and it's like, you're going to hurt your bottom line if you don't like bring more people, to your company, you're going to miss out in fantastic ideas. You're going to miss in markets that you don't understand. I was talking earlier to a friend that I'm, um, I don't know, advising or chatting about his uh, fintech startup and they're great enough into startup to uh, serve the Latino people, but they are doing it as a for-profit because something that we're very frustrated with is that a lot of like things that are made to help the Latino people or like to serve the Latino people are non-profits and charities. And we don't need charities. We need a chance. And And so it's very interesting to talk to Latino founders that are building the Mint for Latinos. And they have a lot of features that you wouldn't think Latinos need. But then also Mint doesn't care that much. He was telling me like he was telling me Mint, Mint uh, doesn't really care about Latinos, and there's many companies that don't really care about Latinos because they think that our credit score is bad and that we can't afford the products that other people can't afford. So they are not even like trying to go after that market. And it's a little frustrating. It's it's very funny, even though we complain a lot about traditional companies sometimes. Latino representation on the boardroom of companies like PepsiCo, Chevrolet, stuff like that, is higher than like Google or Facebook. And to me, that's kind of fascinating how like these older companies, yeah, companies like Boeing or whatever, they, they've been doing like diversity and inclusion work way before tech even started. And you can see the difference that like, when you look at a, an ad from Chevrolet in Spanish, it's much better than like an ad for any tech company in Spanish.
0: Right, so this, this actually brings me to a, a very big point, which is what are some examples that are working, right? What are some initiatives? So you, you mentioned Pepsi, et cetera, like what is working?
1: There's a lot of interesting initiatives that are working. I, don't know, I mean, I don't want to believe that Tickety is working and that we're helping people. I know there's other organizations like Code2040 that is placing lots of engineers that are Latino and Black engineers in tech companies that is working. Apple has programs that work. Apple actually employs not only a lot of Latinos, but also a lot of undocumented DACA professionals. Microsoft has a lot of initiatives that are working. But really what works best, it's, I guess, something they call, like, you know, it's called like Sponsorship. It's more than mentorship because when you have a mentor, your mentor, like, I don't know, gives you advice or whatever valuable, but sometimes it's not enough because if any advice in the world is not enough, it's not compared to like an introduction or or a job offer or stuff like that. So, so there's a lot of companies that are practicing now what's called like sponsorship, where like every new hire that comes into a company that's like a person of color or a woman or something like that gets paired with like a, like a manager or like an executive or so somebody that coaches them to help them get promoted, to help them succeed. And those things make a very big difference. Other things that are working is tech hubs outside of Silicon Valley. In Arizona, there's a lot of Latino founders that are, that are doing like, they decided to, you know, once they like, I don't know, realize that they didn't feel at home in Silicon Valley, they have been creating, there's been Latino people and people of color and different people creating new spaces for themselves in other places. So like Almost all the Miami tech ecosystem is full of Latinos. Boston has a few Latino founders that are doing very well. Arizona has Latino founders, uh, San Diego. And I think that's something that has worked well. Sometimes, you know, if, if you're in a place and nobody opening the door for you there, then you just go and make your own new place.
0: And so, I mean, I think you have really drawn on the point of moving beyond just Silicon Valley itself, right? So the Arizonas and the Floridas and whatnot. And I think that it's not just what's happening in the U.S., but I'm curious to hear your thoughts in terms of, to an extent, this isn't exactly Latinx, but even in Latin Latin America, like what what is working? What is being built? And then also, what is the bridge of them building and what is coming into the U.S.?
1: Right. Well, interesting. Yeah, actually, a lot of people haven't even started talking a lot about Latin America yet. And something that I thought was fascinating is that SoftBank and there are more investors that are not from the U.S. investing in Latin America than investors from the U.S. And I think that's fascinating that the U.S. investors and VCs are super missing out on all of these companies. Like there's a company from my country, Colombia, called Rapi, that just surpassed the billion dollar valuation. It's one of the five, I think only like five startups from Latin America that are over a billion dollars in valuation. And only like a few that are public that are trading here in the U.S. And there's a lot of things coming out of South America. Like, there's a company from Europe called like Rocket Startups. They, they're like a startup lab. They go to South America and they replicate American products, but the Latin American market. So they have like the, you know, like their own version of Uber, their own version of Stripe, like things like that. Yeah, that it's, they a, it's a German company. Yeah, Germans. And they do so well. They're, they're killing it. And, and I think that's kind of fascinating that like people are so like racist or dismissive that they're missing out on money because they're, they they <laughs> rather not make money than, I don't know, challenge their preconceptions about a group of people.
0: Yeah. Well, what a good point. I mean, what a missed opportunity. And I think when it comes to talking about, especially bringing in more solutions and more talent into the workforce, especially from the Latinx community, it's all about what are some of the diverse skill sets? What are the opportunities that we can bring? And, you know, I, l- I like to hear more about your thoughts on, especially dreamers and DACA, right? So I'm from California. I spent eight years in Silicon Valley. And I think strongly identifying as Californian, even at a very young age, the, the conversation of Dreamers or Chicana, that type of notice of that community and just like the greater sphere of, of California life. Yeah. Where are we translating the opportunities from Dreamers and DACA into the tech force? And how how do they navigate this?
1: So, yeah, uh, well, yeah, I guess to your first point, yeah, I think there's a lot of like skills and opportunities and things like that that are in South America that are are not being taken advantage. Like, you know, I guess people are always thinking about like outsourcing their software needs to like India or or I guess some people are outsourcing to like Eastern Europe and stuff like that. There are so many talented people in South America and a lot of them speak English. There's not as cheap as Eastern Europe or India, but they're in the same time zone. Um, a lot of them are super cool people to work with and stuff like that. So I mean when I'm consulting with founders and they need to expand their teams, I usually advise them to hire agencies from South America. I think we, we hired one together too. One one time they yeah, the people from Paraguay. But yep. it was great. Like <laughs> super good work. It was like a fifth of what it would have costed us to develop it here. It was fantastic. So I think, yeah, especially now with COVID, like, I think there's a lot of opportunities to hire developers from Brazil, Mexico, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina. And we will probably see a lot more of that. I also think that like, if you want to like market to Latino people, the best thing that you can do is they hire an agency from Miami or an agency from South America because they will know better kind of like what cultural references to use, what words to use and stuff like that, and can really, really help you increase your marketing or your reach for that. And for the dreamers and immigrants, you know, it's kind of very hard to be a part of the tech industry as sometimes as an immigrant, much harder as a dreamer. Thankfully, people that have DACA, this is like a program that started under Obama, DACA is like a regular work permit, so they don't even need to like disclose it, basically. They just work, like if they had a, a regular work permit with their social security and everything, is it's, it's very, very straightforward and it's been very helpful for the people that are eligible for it. Unfortunately, less than like 10% of the undocumented people in the country are eligible for it. The rest of the people that are undocumented and wanna work in tech, normally you can open like an LLC or a company in the US. The US, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but you don't ha- need to be legally residing on the U.S. to open a company in the U.S. Anybody can open a company and then instead of being like an employee, you're like a contractor. And that's the way that I've heard that many people that don't have work authorization used to work. And, you know, like people are always trying to find solutions to things. And and I think that's also kind of like super fascinating about the the. Latino people, right? Like we're very inventive and creative and stuff like that. And, and people always resilient. find like a way, yeah, resilient. And people always find yeah. a way around, around any limitation.
0: Yeah. I think resilience is a, is a huge piece. And I think with the thought in mind in terms of resilience, I mean, I've, I've definitely seen your career from the very early days until now. And one of the things that really struck me is how much time and work you've done in Taqueria, right? You've worked at various startups, you've worked on various projects. And I think this has been a constant frankly, right? And what brought you to to create Techeria? What was that like? And what are you guys trying to do? What are you guys trying to accomplish?
1: Right. We started Tequeria with a friend back when we were living in Berkeley. It is obviously like it has evolved a lot since like the beginning until what we are right now. But, you know, the premise behind starting Tequeria was that we were two Latino friends working out of a co working space and we were wondering like, why don't we have more Latino friends that work in tech? And it was... I don't know. I guess we'd search for other communities and we couldn't find one. And we believe that sometimes when you want something and you can't get it somewhere else, then that probably means that it's up to you to create I'll it. I'll make my own, basically. Yeah. So we started Tequeria as a meetup. Uh, you know, we had the first meetup at the working space we were at, which was super convenient because we didn't have to pay for the venue or the beer. And yeah, I mean, the first meetup, only like one or two people came. Then the second meetup, like six people came and we kept at it. And now we are one of the largest organizations in the U.S. that helps Latino people in tech. And we're not only one of the largest, we're one of the most influential ones. And we have had partnerships and events with companies like, you know, Google, Facebook, Apple, Snapchat, like Twitter, everybody. Everybody that's in like the, yeah, nice space, hopefully knows about us by now. And it's been, you know, it's been very exciting. We became like a legal entity about two years ago. We have tons of volunteers. We have like, I'm like not as involved anymore with all the day-to-day operations. There's uh, there's an executive director, there's support, there's support advisors. There's uh, like 12 chapters with chapter directors. There's like people that manage our social media. It's, it's been very interesting to see how much the organization and the community has grown over time. And to me, I guess the most beautiful, most important thing is that most of the beautiful things that happen in the community, like the people that get jobs or the people that get mentor the people that get coach. Most of the time we don't have to manage that. It's just people helping each other. Um we're just kind of like a facilitator of those interactions. And that makes it a lot easier on us. <laughs> but it also is very rewarding to see that like there's so many people that are like super hungry to help others and that they have found a space where they can do that.
0: Right. So it sounds like I mean the camaraderie is is a huge part of making this community work, making this initiative work, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I think um Building communities is challenging, right? We've both seen many communities that fail. Right. And
0: I miss you, sort of. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know. I think it's, it's very important to see that, right? Like a community leader is not like a boss, right? Like when you're a boss or you're a CEO whatever, you tell everybody what to do and then and then they do it and nobody ever complains about you and everybody loves you. But when you're a community leader, you're more like a matchmaker type of thing. So I believe that my biggest role at Tequiria is just remembering as many people as possible. So uh, when people ask me, like, hey, do you know somebody at Lyft? I can be like, oh, yeah, yeah, message Vanessa. Or like if somebody is like, uh, hey, I, I want to apply to the New York Times. Where can I go? I'll be like, oh, it's message this other person. Stuff like that. Oh, that's uh, really cool. Yeah, it, it goes
0: back to your point is that as a connector, you have to bring this talent back into the institutions that provide economic opportunity for them and their families, right? So that one small piece as a community leader, as a community organizer, is bringing even if it's one point or one node, connecting it back into the larger capital institution. Right.
1: Right. Like we've been talking about like the like the nicer side of like the tequila things, right? Which is which are like the helping people find jobs or helping people find a coach or getting your resume reviewed. But then there's another side of the community that it's very important that is like many people face discrimination at their jobs or they face personal problems with their coworkers and things like that. And for the longest time, they felt that maybe they didn't have a place where they could go and ask questions about this. Because when you don't have family members or friends that have worked in like companies like this, you don't know, I don't know, a lot of people kind of like suck it up, right? And end up being with a very abusive employer for like way longer than they should have. So like we have this place, that like, we have these tools in Tequeria that allow people to like ask anonymous questions about their job where people can be like, hey, my boss is treating me this way. Is this okay? Or like, hey, I haven't gotten a promotion in two years. What can I do about it? Things like that. And, and, I, and I say it's like, it's not as pretty, but it's a reality of the tech industry as in any industry, right? Some managers or shitty managers, some bosses or shitty bosses. And, and I think having a place where you can feel comfortable and safe to ask questions like that just can really change your life. I mean, I don't know if you have ever worked for like an abusive manager or something like that, but those those experiences are very terrible. And if you don't have a support network, it's very hard to get out of those places.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I were to put myself in the shoes of what you're trying to explain is if I'm in a work experience and I have the opportunity to ask my peers, right, for advice, it really depends on where did you go to school? You know, sometimes it depends on this. Like where do you go to school? What is your social capital, what is your social capital network? Right. And so If you talk about folks who are coming from different types of communities, some privileged, some not, then they also have access to different types of information. They also have access to maybe people who have never been in your position before, so they don't know how to advise you, right? And I think that draws a huge light on why having such important support groups, especially in the format of professional development, is going to propel, again, different talents from different backgrounds. But again, to your earlier point, we can't all assume that if you are come from the Latinx community, that you are also not privileged, right? There's different ways that privilege shows up, so.
1: Right, no, and I think, I guess calling Tequeria only a Latino in tech community ends up being too reductionistic, because we're very specific to things, right? Like, like because we call the community Latinx, then that weeds out the people that, like, don't believe in, like, gender non-conforming words or stuff like that. So, but yeah, like, yeah, it's a big variety of community. There's, like, a lot of Latino people in the U.S. So, of course, there's like some that like went to Stanford or went to Harvard. And for the most part, they don't care about being a part of the Korea because they, they probably have better support from Harvard than they will get from me. But, exactly. Yeah. so So I think, yeah, a lot of the work that we do ends up being more focused on like the people that are like first generation or immigrants and mostly for people that like are low income or like the first from their family to be able to go to college. And I mean, I don't know if you know this, but like there's a big thing that happens with people that have low-income families and is that they're not always very supportive of your success because uh jealousy or whatnot, like you know, some people can call you like a traitor or whatever for abandoning your neighborhood and moving to the upper west side or something like that. So so being able to communicate, I don't know, like if your mom makes like thirty-five thousand dollars a year and you don't know whether to buy a million dollar house or whatever, like like it will be very hard to talk to your mom about things like that, right? Like, but then you find somewhere like Tikaria where you can talk to other people, like, hey Is me making two hundred thousand dollars enough or not? But if you were to ask that your cousin, they will probably be like, "The fuck you're talking about? Of course it is." But it's like, no, maybe it's not, right? Right. So that's interesting. It's all relative. Yeah. It's
0: all relative.
1: So it's very good. Like we have many members in Techeria that have raised like millions of dollars for their startups, for example. So it creates a space where it's also comfortable to talk about money, comfortable to talk about your vacations, comfortable to talk about your purchases, and a lot of conversations that that might not be possible with. If your family, if your family comes from like a less privileged background.
0: Yeah. I guess where I want to go from here is really just understanding then what do you think is the next phase? If there is a phase in regards to how the dialogue of Latinx and in tech, where is that going?
1: Well, uh, I guess we have a conference coming up soon where we're going to be discussing a lot of this, which is very exciting. It's the the LTX Fest, ltxfest.com. If you want to check out, it's free. There's a lot of things, I think. One very big thing that has been brought up this year is civic participation. But Bernie Sanders did a very, very good job at connecting with the Latino community. Joe Biden sucks at a lot of things. And including that, Donald Trump is even worse. So, so there's a lot of people that are wondering, you know, like now that the Latino population is so huge, how do we communicate with them? How do we bring them into the fold? How do we talk about them? And because, you know, a lot of these people in these positions are kind of like, Condescending, I guess, is the word. It is very hard for them to really understand what you know is going on. So, so I think that a good thing that I would like to see in the future, a thing that I would like to see in the future, is for the conversation about the Latino people to be more nuanced, to be able to understand, like you know, like a lot of Latinos don't give a shit about immigration because they're being here for four generations. Why will they care, right? there's many Latinos that are, have a lot of money and are business owners. They don't want to be compared Absolutely with true. the people that are like low income, right? Absolutely so, true. so it's like the conversation needs to be more nuanced. The conversation needs to be more about empowerment, more about, because there's a lot of like, like even for example, with the Latino business owners, most Latino business owners, we were talking to a guy from um, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, most Latino business owners, like almost 90% of Latino business owners never cross a million dollars in sales. And that is kind of really sad because compared to most that are like, Latino people are the ones picking up the fruits in the farms, but they're not the ones that own the farms. So I think the conversation needs to be a little more nuanced the conversation needs to be more about empowerment and less about how do we use the Latino people and more like how do we collaborate with the Latino people.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm a fan of this. And I think this topic is so relevant in not just current, in current situations, but I think also what really resonates with me, just even in the very beginning, which is we see Latinx in the tech ecosystem as consumers rather than part of the builders, part of the programmers, right? And I just really want to appreciate you for coming on. I know you're very active on Twitter. How can they best find you?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm very happy to be here too. My Twitter is like my name, but without the A, sorry, it's d v i d s l v a David Silva. But I'm also, if you just like close your eyes and think about me for five minutes, I'll show up in your room.
0: <laughs> That's amazing and creepy, but I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, David, thank you so much for sharing all of this and lots to think about as we build a future together.
1: Thanks. So happy to chat and and yes, no, I agree with you. I think hopefully we'll see more Latino people in more positions so that so that we're less of a surprise. I don't know how to call it, like, so that when people see another Latino at the room, we don't have to like point at each other and like wink and be like, Oh my god, another Latino. So, <laughs> I see you. Yeah. Hopefully we'll yeah. we'll get a lot more of us and and yeah, no, definitely. apples were fun. Like, I don't know if you've had, had Latino coworkers, but it's way, more, like, the office is a lot more fun when, when you have Latino people in there.
0: All right, let's go party then. Dude.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Sydney Lai, and what a conversation rabbit hole. I mean, I think that that topic is so difficult to discuss because it really comes back down to like how are we providing opportunities and resources for diverse and different types of people to build right I really want to see awesome things being developed for the next generation and I'm just super stoked but with that being said when it comes to this excitement I'm also sad that this is our last episode for the season do join me next season I just really want to appreciate you guys for hanging out, for sticking on. I hope you guys found this very informative, if not at the very least entertaining. If you want to come and hang out and join us, there's our community. We have 300,000 developers. Come hang out, come build. And next season, I'm not sure if we're going to be talking about career development, but it's definitely going to be informative for us building the future, paving the way. And I really, really appreciate you hanging out. Thanks again.